What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley, and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast, where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics that the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question, and this show is the answer. All right, what is going on, everyone? Happy Monday afternoon. I hope everyone is having an amazing start to their day. We've got so much action planned for today. I don't even know where to start. No music for today, though. Maybe. Well, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see how I feel. We'll see how Todd's feeling. We'll see how Ryan's feeling. So I'm going to start. So we've got a whole bunch of shit going down today, talking 100% enterprise sales. So if you're interested in how to close big deals, if you're like, Jake, um, I'm an industry vet. Look, look, guy, I've already closed a bunch of multi-million deals. Look, so have I, okay? So it's not about that. It's about where things are going, where the needle's moving that I'm excited to, to spend some time on here with the squad. I already see we got some people pulling into the live stream. Is that my man, Charles Morton? Dude, what's up, Charles? Hope you're doing great, man. Of course, I knew we'd have Brandon Hawthorne. If you guys don't follow Brandon Hawthorne, this guy is killing the LinkedIn DM video game. Um, so if you guys want to know how to send a really killer personalized video, hit up Brandon. He set me up with a few that I really thought were great. So, all right, without further ado, Mr. Todd Capone, let's bring him in. There he is. What's up, my buddy? What's up, dude? And I'm just trying to get Ryan in here, but Ryan, I don't see a camera. So let me just see it. Let me just see if it, this is like a gray box here. Oh, we're probably better off. There we go. There he is. Look at that. <laughs> like he's in witness protection. Or something <laughs> That's right. Ryan, there, there we go. Okay, we got some folks in here. So, so Ryan put together, Ryan, I've got to say, I mean, you put together a pretty amazing lineup for tomorrow. You know, like not just because obviously Todd and I are participating, which is, <laughs> is an obvious reason, but you know, like tell tell a little bit about Brian. Like, you know, I want to give you a plug here as more and more people are joining and, and um, make sure let's make sure to drop the link so everybody sh- signs up. What was the like? What was the reason for putting the event tomorrow together? Maybe just like give like a quick high level for everybody because it really is, man. I mean, the amount of people that you have, and I think. You know, if I was somebody who's in sales and especially if I wanted to learn how to close bigger deals, this is something like I could just go back and reference this content. I mean, there's just so much stuff going down. So what was really kind of like your reason for putting this together? Yeah, well, well, thank, thanks for uh, having me on, Jake. And in terms of uh, putting together the summit, it was one of those things where like the more I looked at it and the more I saw people just acting and, and behaving that I'm like, everything has just changed so much. And so what I, what I did is I kind of looked at it and reverse engineered it. I'm like, okay, if I was starting all over and looking at helping and serving people that were starting all over yeah, from like the ground up, how would they build this? And so I looked at every single subtopic or area that I thought was needed from like brand all the way till closing execution to where things are going. And then I found the best speakers for every single topic. And I, I kind of handled it that way. And it was awesome because people just jumped on and they're like, yeah, this is great. This is amazing. And it, it was an awesome opportunity because everybody got to really showcase what their strengths were. And so then you put it together and you got this amazing collection of over 29 different speakers that are absolutely crushing it in their respective specialties. So that, that's kind of how I decided to put it together. And I thought the market needed it because it. there's just a lot of recycled content out there. And so I thought it would be a great fresh perspective as well. Well, I can't, I can't promise Todd and I won't also recycle. No, I'm kidding. I think, I think at least for, I, I don't know, I felt, uh, I felt pretty good about the session. So I know I'm, I'm excited for it. Todd, what's going on with you, man? How's yeah. life? I'm, I'm, how, are uh, things, how are things? It's been a minute. I, am I one of the cool kids now? Like, don't all the cool kids get a t-shirt made with their logo on it? I well, finally hell, get it. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> there we go. Why wouldn't you? At least now, if it had your picture on it, that would be some next level shit. That, yeah, like a if nice cartoon caricature. But it's good. I respect that. I respect that game the same way I respect the bow tie game, right? The people that are like, you know what my shtick's going to be? A bow tie. And like, and if that's your shtick, like, I mean, God bless you, but it's just not. That's right. It's and not, you know, it's not my thing. with the level of nerdery I get to, mine's going to be a top hat and a monocle. Okay, I like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can see you. Right. 
<laughs> Let me tell you something I heard. Do you know that you know, there's this, I can't remember what book I was reading. Um, it's a book about unconscious bias, but did you know that Monopoly Man does not have a monocle? Hmm. Boom. Uh, that's interesting. Boom. Uh, that's mind blowing. Mind blowing. Never has, never has had a monocle, ever. So there you go, back to the monocles. Okay, so Todd, we've got you for 10 more minutes, okay? And I've wasted obviously five of those already. <laughs> so one of the, the topics that you had emailed over, so we're gonna talk about enterprise sales. My friends, mm -hmm. if you're in enterprise sales, here's what I want you to do. Tag your leader right now because they should be attending, right? Tag some friends, let's get, you know, we've got about 50 people, the number just keeps growing, this is great. So um, Todd, you mentioned we talked about consensus selling, okay? Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can spend a little bit about when you talk about consensus selling and enterprise, when you talk about how you see that changing, because, you know, I want to get really tactical here. What do you see is the same in consensus selling? What do you think is going to get worse? What are maybe some trends or some different details that you're seeing around enterprise sales? And also, you know, Ryan, feel free to, to jump into, but Todd, I know you highlighted this. So I want to get your thoughts on, you know, where consensus selling is at today mm -hmm. and where you see it happening and going over the next, you know, five, 10 years. Yeah. Well, I tell you, first of all, um, when I hear that enterprise selling, it, it, enterprise consensus selling is hard, sure is. However, enterprise consensus buying is infinitely harder. Oh, like, man. you know, as a sales org, you've got processes, you've got a whole support organization, you do it every single day. When the last time I tried to buy enterprise software, oh my it, gosh, it was hell on earth. It's like the first time I've ever done it. What I was buying was the first time our organization's ever done it. There's no processes. And, you know, you've got all your messaging developed by marketing. And then it comes to me as the buyer. Now I've got to create my own messaging to go build the consensus. So with that in mind, consensus, you know, buying is harder than consensus selling. Now let's add on the fact that everybody's remote. Right. Like you can't just walk down the hall and just go, hey, Jake, what do you think of me doing this? Like, are, are we cool with this? Hey, Ryan, do we have the budget? Like, you got to formal meetings to do all of this. So I, uh, being the behavioral science nerd that I am, I stumbled upon some research that showed that our decisions are actually biased by the cost to act. Meaning yeah. when we see a reward... If the path to get there is hard, our brain will go, that reward's not that great. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about your processes, so I wanted to lay that foundation because the thing- I, that I, think it's a, I think it's a perfect one because it is, it's that mindset, Todd, why I think so many people struggle at enterprise sales is because their boss is like, get to the decision maker. And they don't, and they don't realize like, look, in, in good, in, in, as an enterprise seller, my job is pro I've got to be that project management inter internally because we, we, we did um, one of our clients, it can be fierce. 85% of companies report poor collaboration internally. Mm -hmm. And, and to your point, when you double down COVID, it, you know, it's 90 plus percent don't know how to collaborate. And that, yeah. that goes to, you know, all that you kind of elaborate, which I think it's the perfect, that if you don't have an empathy and an understanding for the other side, everything talking about consensus selling is not going to make any sense. Because exactly. in your mind, you're like, but my boss said the decision maker does everything and my champion does the rest of the work for me. Right. It's so. crazy. So the, the tips that I was going to lay on you, I'm just going to throw them out there and then we can talk about them uh, until we run out of time. So obviously transparency, like you knew that was coming. But the yeah. point being that our, our process is hard if we don't feel like we're getting at the answers we need, right? That our brain, we're wired to predict what our experience is going to be like with your products and services. And if all you do is spout perfection, our brains go, that's not quite true. And they drive us to do the homework to find out how you're not, right? So first tip is always lead with transparency. Here's what you're going to get. And here's what you're not going to love. And if you're struggling with this part, because we give that up to be great at our core. Let's talk through that now, qualify in the deal faster, qualify out the deal faster. But I'll tell you another thing that's totally counterintuitive. And I'm so glad I stumbled upon this. And it actually came from uh, one, a professor at the University of Texas, close by you there, Jake. Yep. Um, so I had stumbled upon 12 years ago, this idea that leading with your price is better than hiding it. Even though I'd been taught all along that, hey, we shouldn't talk about price until we've established value, right? Well, the research now says, so this is a new research study that showed up in the Journal of Marketing Research 
that said that open negotiation, leading with your price and establishing that as the foundation also removes friction from the buying journey, which helps our buyers when they're trying to assess the reward. Again, if we're biased by the cost to act and we don't know what the price is, that's a cost to act. That's actually, you're trying to, you're driving us to do more homework and we'll actually go towards the status quo. So leading with not only your pros and your cons, but saying, hey, listen, here's where the price range is gonna be. We're gonna have to dig in a little bit deeper to get more into your specifics. But if that's gonna be a problem, let's talk about it. That's gonna be a big problem. Let's go work on different projects together, right? Exactly. And so like that's, that's really tip number one is when you lead that, concept of transparency is not just your pros and cons, but the research is now showing that leading with your price has magical impacts on trust building, deal values, upsells and cross sells and deal predictability. I love that. I love that. And it's so, I think the tough part, Todd, is it's just, it's, it's, I think it's psychological on the sales side that mm-hmm. whether it's, we're not training sales reps um, a good and you know that that it's okay to talk and to really you know the, the whole reason the whole term consultative selling came about is like look my job is to help to facilitate decision making right and here's what we do here's our plans here's what other people do and these concepts have been around but I feel like sales leaders sometimes struggle to arm their teams with this you know and, and maybe and, and Ryan all you can you can kind of chime in too if you want are there ways that you see on that first one sales leaders helping to remove those roadblocks or how sales leaders can, or if you're a rep, right, you can do it yourself. But what are some areas to make me less nervous about doing what you just said? Well, stop measuring a person's potential success based on their pipeline load. And what I mean by that is like, I used to teach it and I'm like, I'm freaking kicking myself for this crap is that I was always like, Hey, Ryan, why don't you have three X your quota and pipeline? Right. And like Ryan goes, oh, crap. Well, I better not qualify out deals that we're going to lose because otherwise I'm going to get in trouble for not having three X my quota and pipeline. Right. Like those are the kinds of things that drive me nuts now that I see the research around it and go, you know what? I was incentivizing my reps to work two thirds of their opportunities that we knew they're going to lose. Like let's get better at qualifying out faster. And so that's one thing that leaders can do is to stop measuring that pipeline load crap and encourage your reps to qualify deals out faster so the whole organization can focus their prospecting efforts and their deal-making efforts on the deals we should win. That's a big one. I love that. And that's super actionable. Again, I think it's just, you know, we're, we're just trained, right? We're like the data makes, I think, that part piece, that part difficult. Ryan, what would, what would you add about uh, consensus selling? You know, yeah. what would you add about the, these concepts? Yeah, I mean, I think Todd's spot on. And, and like, if you're coaching your team, I think, one of the simplest things that you could hit on is like literally if you're talking like SaaS pricing, 95% of the time you could just Google it and look at the competitors anyways. So it's like, it's not rocket science. Now, if you're getting something a little more complicated, like a managed service or sure, of course. something like that, that's a little bit of a different game. But if you're talking, I mean, just look at your top competitors and you could Google and get pricing like that. So it's like the customer is going to do it anyway. Build trust right from the get-go. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Gong had actually, I think it was Gong. This maybe a year ago. Gong had put out um, a report about that when people talked about the competition in the first call, the close rate went up, which I think, you know, beyond validates, you know, part of what you're talking about here, which is that in this type of these other people, because really what what you're saying, like at at the heart of it in the very beginning is, the, the number one way, the, the number one thing you lose to is no decision because mm-hmm. of what those, you know, because of what we're talking about. Yeah. It's that people start to think about implementation. And I love the way that you put it is much more scientific than I put it. But I, I, I just, you know, it's when, whenever you as a rep say, look, our customer success team is world class. And it's so easy to get started that immediately to your point, Todd, starts mm-hmm. the distrust yeah. because I'm like, dude, OK, uh, you obviously I have 500 potential users on this account. Like, mm-hmm. do you know the change management lift and the number of quarters this is going to take? And you're sitting here telling me it's like a simple plug-in to our Salesforce. Like, dude, you don't you don't understand that the it's not the tech, it's the change management. Exactly. And exactly. that's and I feel like, you know, I don't know. Again, I think I had some good great mentors early on and also just kind of intuitively started to figure out that man, if I can just remove roadblocks, like people would, you know, people would like do shit. And it like just like started to work out. So yeah. all right, Todd. Your time is up. One yeah. last parting thought. 
I love having you on. And no, we'll, talk, we'll do our own long one here in the next like month or so. But yeah, I feel like I'm one of those guests on the talk shows that shows up a lot. Like I think I've been on your show. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just tell you good. that the point around that whole sales process is just everybody look at your sales process and imagine what it's like as a buyer and go, if there's friction, you're triggering that brain remote buyer bias and you're actually driving them to prioritize other stuff like your, your qualification, your discovery, your steps, your demos, all that stuff, all the way down to negotiations. Just stop it. Get rid of those extra steps. And I know, Jake, you talk about that a lot. I love it so much. I'm, I'm fired up about it. So uh, awesome. All right. Check out the Todd session tomorrow, everybody. See you guys. See you, All right. Now, look who we got up next, Mr. Rob Jepson. What's up, guys? How you doing, man? This is Good great. You, man. We've never done this like kind of in and out thing. I'm kind of loving it, man. It's kind of fun. I'm pumped to be here with you guys. This is get, this getting is some stuff. new stuff in here. So look, man, hey, we were just talking about consensus selling. But we have someone who just dropped a question here, from Mr. Russell Renton, that I think I'll, I'll tee up for you, Rob, coming okay. in hot, That's is good. around procurement and paperwork contract stuff. So, you know, what do you have? So, so obviously look, procurement and contracts are a part of doing business at the enterprise, right? Yep. What tips or what strategies have you been successful with? And Ryan, I'll let you go. You talk a little bit as well too. What strategies have you been successful with in, let, let's call it a combination of either speeding up the paperwork or even speeding up the decision-making process, which I think are, you know, kind of, they're, they're, they're correlated to some extent, but but also there's some independent tips and tricks I think you can do. So I'd love to get Rob, maybe your quick quick tips on on how to speed things up because I think that that's the the the, the belief, right? Enterprise deals are long, they're contract, blah blah blah. So what do you and your team do to make it painless, pain, less less painful? First of all, Jake, thanks for inviting me out. It's great to see oh, you course, again. Man. Great to be with you, Ryan. Always good to see you. Uh, I'm pumped to be part of what you're doing today. Uh, first of all, Jake, I don't think that the word trick is, is a real uh, healthy word because yeah. nobody wants to be tricked, right? Nobody yeah. wants to. And I've always said intent is more important than yeah, technique. Yeah, like, like a tactic. Yeah. I get you. No, yeah, you I get you. I, I know it's up, but I also want to say that to the listeners because some people do think there's a silver bullet, right? There's not. Yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah, there's not. And so here's what I'm a big fan of in the enterprise more than anything else. And my company is helping lots of people do this. I believe that mutual action plan, that mutual close plan, that whatever you want to call it, is is something you have to do. And you need to do it early in the sales process. So when you, maybe if you're selling a large enterprise, if you have someone that you have dollarized the size of the problem, because you know me, I, I'm a big believer in it. If we can't say there's a big problem and we've quantified why it's worth solving, listen, if it's a, nobody makes changes for nuisances. They don't do it for nuisances. You've got to okay. have something that's a big problem. When you find that person that says, yes, this is worth fighting for and I'm willing to help you, in my opinion, humble as it may be, one of the very next steps needs to be let's make a mutual action plan. So we can now say this is all the things that typically has to do when we work with somebody like you. That demonstrates, A, I've worked with companies like you. I understand what it takes to get companies done. I can bring resources to the table on my side to help you do it. And one of those things should be procurement, right? Uh, You know, Generally speaking, it takes X amount of time. What's your procurement process like? At what point do we need to start that? At what time do we need to be bringing them in? What kind of information do they need to have? I'd like to get in their hands sooner than later because my experience is once we're approved as a vendor, it makes the rest of the process go a lot easier. Just because we're approved as a vendor doesn't mean you have to buy from us. There's a lot of things like that that go a mutual action plan that makes it really a lot smoother. Uh, So people feel like, man, I'm working with Jake and this guy, he knows how to sell to companies like that. I remember when I sold to a really large, I mean, one of the largest they're in pretty much every PC. They're the chip in every PC, okay? There's a little sticker on your on your laptop that says something inside, right? And uh, when I sold to those guys, their biggest question was, can you support the enterprise? And it wasn't because I told them. It was because of the experience I created on how they bought, Jake. And so if you can create an experience that says, these people know how to sell enterprise, that checks half the boxes by itself. That's right. And I think that, that what I see is even in growing startups, right? Or growing yeah. companies, even that they, they shoot themselves in the foot. Guys, it, it, it's not that complex, right? Like it's really not. There's a group of people who have to sign off on budget. There's a people who have to use it and think that they're going to get utility. And there's a group of people who need to integrate it or will champion it or touch it. Like it's just about, there's a, there's a concert that's the right concert for your, your, 
your product. And and I, what I love about what you said, because you know we will come into a lot of early stage companies and hopefully simplify some of this for them. And and it's like, why are you talking about a lot of these? They don't want to hear new and cutting edge. No, they want to hear. Look, this is typically what happens next. This is what That's it right. is. This person's going to be involved here. And and you touched on mutual action plans here. I'm a massive fan of mutual action plans. One Same. of the things I've never understood, Rob, and, and Ryan, maybe you, maybe you can go to, you know, you can kind of chime in. Why isn't this standard for every single deal? Why are mutual action plans? Because we know it as leaders. Why is it still not just a standard best practice for sales? Like it's just, you know, like why isn't it in 100% of deals? Because I even think it's, it's applicable at mid-market and like, you know, like bigger SMB deals. 100%, Jake. It should be in everyone. Uh, uh, if you're complex sale at all, if you're transactional, maybe not. But if you have any exactly. kind of com- if you have any kind of complexity, I don't understand it because the world's best sales teams, they all do it. And so I, I, I find it like one of the first things I look at when someone is saying, hey, let's look at our, how we how we lead sales teams. It's one of the first things I ask. Show me what your mutual action plan yep. looks like. And many times, Jake, to your point, they're like, what are you talking about? What's an what's Excel the- that one yeah. person's using and then the other person's kind of not using it. Yeah. And so I think that part of it, Jake, is sometimes reps get nervous that it may come across as pushy because they haven't been trained how to do it. And I think they're afraid of it a little bit because it might be too assumptive. And I found it's the exact opposite. It it, it actually makes people feel comfortable because it does. It simplifies. Here's my analogy, Jake and Ryan. Ryan, I, I just talked over you. I'm sorry, Ryan. Actually, not that sorry. I'm passionate about this. Sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, we got, we if you, got time, man. We got you time. You can jump in, man. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have to take that. You gotta take you got your, two, you you got two talkers here. here. Here's what I found, Jake Ryan. It's like going bowling, man. If you gotta go bowling and you gotta get ten pins knocked down, set all ten of them in front of me and I'll bowl a strike. But what pisses me off is if you put one in front of me and I hit it, and then I put a second one in front of me and I gotta bowl it again, and then a third one, and if I gotta set up ten individual pins. That is a really shitty buying process and nobody likes that. And so if you can say, here's how we set up the 10 pins. Let's get these all set up. Let's let's get this in one pass. Let's make this easy. Let's have you feel like you're in charge. Let's have you know you're working with someone that knows how to sell to you. That goes a long, long way because then you give them the chance to say, generally the 10 pit setup looks the 10 pin setup looks like this. How's it different in your organization? That's right. Ryan. Yeah. And so uh Rob, you're crushing it, man. So I, I can't I can't talk over you, dude. So, so here's what I would say is like the, the, it goes back into what Todd was just talking about transparency. So if you say, what are the next five to 10 steps that are going to happen? It allows you to surface objections that might come up too. Yes. And also then meet with those people that are going to give objections and deal with it live versus having someone who doesn't know how to sell, try and handle that to you or for you, I should say. So that, that's so- yeah. so Ryan push pause, Ryan. This is like being on my podcast. I'm pushing pause. Sorry, bro. Um, this is a big one, Ryan and Jake, and everybody listening on LinkedIn Live. Let me tell you why. You should be able to find out early in the process, A, who the personas are that have to be playing, and if the person you're working with can get you access to them. And when you're doing this, you will find out really fast if this person can get you where you need to be, and then you can you can adjust. Because to your point, Ryan, when you have that conversation, you have this natural uh, opportunity to say, so how do we get, should we have them at the next meeting? Do we, you know, and, and if they can't get you that, you need to know that sooner instead of later so you can figure out a different way to win. And, well, and, and what I would do is I want to call out because there's, there's two different kind of ways that you all went toward this. And, and, you know, what you talked about, Ryan, is like, what are the next five steps? And, and, and what I find is that, and you or maybe we're saying the same thing, but, you know, what I do is I say, here are the next five steps. Typically, yes. typically these are the next five steps. These are the people that need to get involved and win. This is what and, I understand that man's right. Like, yeah, this- exactly. And yeah. then, and because it's the, the reverse is what makes you sound junior. What, how I know you don't, know, you don't know how to sell enterprise is whenever you end a meeting and you go, "Great, Rob, what are next steps?" Yes, dude. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, look, you've sold this deal eight hundred times. You yeah. know what a buying. You know, we, there's a, a client. I have a very specific memory of a client back in 2014. We worked with. And what we identified is, look, if the VP of store operations wasn't involved by step three, the deal wasn't happening. It didn't matter how much marketing wanted it for the locations, et cetera. And so, you know, by just simply saying, look, so typical next steps, Rob, is we're going to loop in store operations. Eventually, they're going to have to bless this. If this is going to go into 50 different locations. And so we'll at least do a high level for them. And then if they said no, we push back and said, well, we can't move forward. That's right. I know who needs to be involved. It's your product. How do you not know who needs to be involved? You've sold it tens, hundreds of times. 
And they've never bought it before. Right? They've, they've never, never bought yeah. it before. Exactly. And that goes back to there's a question here from or a comment from Abby. Abby Abreu. What's up, Abby? Which is like the concept of keeping it simple. And I think sometimes these mutual account uh, action plans, joint action plans, people think that it complicates things. But what I find is like, and I tell you this, like I'm a CEO, Rob's a CEO, Ryan, maybe you've been a CEO. Like there is nothing better on the planet earth than someone just tells me what they're going to do. Like there's nothing, I don't need more decisions. Don't show me that you've done this a million times. Don't come to me and say, Jake, what do you think we do next? Like you you tell me and every decision maker, your boss, your boss's boss, they all want you to do the same thing too. They want you to bring them a mutual action plan. Use a mutual action plan in your own company. And I feel like so many people are so nervous. They think they're complicating it. What you don't understand is you're actually simplifying it. And like, it's one less decision for me. So I don't know how you feel about that, Rob, but, but for me, there's nothing better than when someone comes to me at the plan and just tells me what's going to happen. Yeah, you're dead on. And, <laughs> and, and the only who or what I want to hear is who is the person that has this role or when do we, when can you get them, you know, involved in this process or stuff like that. But if you don't know what that looks like, it's pretty tough, man. Um, yeah. and, and you're right. And, and when you're selling to the enterprise, I, I listened to what you guys were talking about with Todd and I love Todd. You know, if you can't like demystify that, because I believe one of the things you guys talked about is true. Consensus buying is going to get worse, not better. Um, mm-hmm. No one's doing risk. No one's doing unpopular deals right now. They're not. And someone, it, someone that might not have been able to hurt you in the past, they can hurt you now. They can hurt you now. And um, and so I think it's important to get them involved, to have them feel like it's their deal as early in the process as possible, to have them feel like they were part of the to. Yeah, story of why we're doing this. People that they don't want to feel like dot uh, I daughters and T crossers anymore. They want to feel like because they feel like my job is to protect the company. So you better treat them as though they're part a key part of the deal. Yeah. And I think that that's so important that it's it's you have to understand the key motivators for this, right? What does an end user want, right? Or what is, what is the, the micro department, the department, the region, and these different, and, and what you're going to see is consistency. Right. Guess what? What do end users want? They want to see utility. Is this going to make my life easier? It, can I get home at five to go pick my kids up now or whatever, right? Then, and then the next people up care a little bit more macro. And so I feel like so many people with enterprise, we look for all these reasons of like why it's different when in reality, it's like, look, people have different motivators at different levels. One, one question I want to know, Rob, before, before Lisa joins us here and I got to kick you out. So we're going to try this before. I don't know. It's kind of fun. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Is what about procurement? There's something that you said, and I've got a tactic for it. I'll stop I'll, I, a tactic. How do you get procurement to move faster? Is there anything that you've seen yeah. consistently that's helped procurement to move faster? Yeah, business acumen is more important than it's ever been. It can't just be I'm trying to get this deal done. It's got everything has to be with with I, pars. Is you know Ralph Barcy just did a, a project with me where he shared his PARs. What I love it is problem, action, results. So when we're talking to procurement, we're solving these problems. This is the action, and the expected results are here. And if we can speak their language too, if we can bring into them, you know, every single person you work with, you better be able to speak their language. And so, if there's already been some kind of a negotiated price, make sure that they know it up front. Hey, you should know, you know, the problem, action, the action is we're doing this. Uh, your unit price is this instead of this. We we did this because of these things. Help them realize that a lot of their work has already been done. And I found that if you lead with problems instead of products, too many people have the wrong P, uh, Jake. They lead with products. Yeah. When you get there, the P is, I want to get my product in place. No, it's still the freaking problem. Okay. Always. It has it's to be the problem. the problem. We are solving this problem because it matters to this degree. I always call that dollarizing. Don't, I think ROI is a bullshit uh, metric that no one believes. But you but mean you they think, don't all believe your ROI calculator, Yeah. Job? No one does. Ever? And if you use one, it makes you look like a rookie, by the way, um, <laughs> because all they see is the I. They don't see the R. They don't see the return. They only believe the I've I. I've never seen one that didn't show like a 10x return either. Like yeah. they're so like, you know, that they're all just going to say, yeah, look at this. You're going to get 10x. And all again, it goes back to what, what Todd is talking about. It just shows that you really don't quite understand the lift. But, of, like, but I'm, good we're, into we're doing this. We are solving this problem. We're taking these actions. This is the result. And making sure that the first part of the procurement conversation is them understanding why this is on your desk and not that they're just trying to get a deal done, but why they are helping the company. 
Uh, I found that I get a lot of other insight on other ways the problem can be solved as well when I have that conversation. That's just one tactic. I There's a that. lot of others. I can't wait to hear yours. That's just one for me. Stay I'll, on the problem. Stay on the problem. Stay on the I'll problem. Give, I'll give mine. It, it, and it's it's basically start the procurement because you mentioned it. And so yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you credit. You start it after the first proposal meeting, you yes. know, and, and it lets you know where you're at in the deal. And I've just seen it happen time and time again. If after we sit down and say, okay, Rob, based on our conversation, this is probably what it's, we're, we're, this is, it's going to look like this ish. Typically yeah. at this stage, we'll start the MSA process just to start the red lines, et cetera. And I'm telling you just that step. Cause yes. then there's one of two things happens. One, the person goes, ah, well, uh, you know, Jake, let's, let's fine tooth this yeah. little more. Let's, and then yeah. boom, then I can have a conversation. Well, well, Rob, help me to understand. Look, we're trying to go live by January. I know what this is going to like, where's your head at? That helps to me to know their head's not there or they'll say yes. And then I know, okay, we got a live deal here. Or you can, and, and I love that because I'm with you. I always want to have that be something before I get all the other votes to win. I want to know what it takes to become an approved vendor. That's right. right. I, I want to know what that's, yeah. I want, because everyone's different. And that's an interesting conversation because say the reason we like to start, if you want to start in January, my experience is working with organizations like yours, it usually takes X amount right, of time. Working backward. So there you Work go. I love that one. Backwards. Great tactic. Great tactic. All right, Rob, you're the man. We'll see you. We'll see you tomorrow. Yep. Enterprise see you next Sales week. Summit. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you. Bye. Thank yeah. you. All right, Lisa Palmer. Hey, what is, what is going on? Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to meet you. I don't know. Have we ever officially met before? Have I we ever? I don't think we have. It's no. Well, this is the right way to do it. You know, <laughs> just just hop in. Talk a little enterprise sales. So, so I'll let you kind of pick up where, where we were where we were leaving off there. So we were talking about in big deals in particular, and actually we've got a really good question in here that actually would be a good one. Maybe I'll just tee you up with it to start. Um, we've talked a little bit about consensus selling and consensus buying. We talked about the use of mutual action plans. Yeah. Um, just got a question here, and well, first Lisa, before I ask you the question, do you do you or your teams do you use mutual action plans consistently or is that a core part of what you do or have you used them in the past absolutely okay. and it's i like to use visual dartboarding in concert with mutual action plans so all right tell me more about that people have different you know people have different terminology for the approach they use but i think the mutual action plans is is a really good way to think about who's going to own what to move you forward but what I love to do with visual dartboarding, and, and Rob made a statement about this, how important it is for people through the buying process to feel like it's their idea and they own it mm -hmm. and so that they help you to move things through that complex enterprise buying cycle. And the way to do that is to your prior point about stay on the problem, right? It's really important that we're not coming in and trying to sell a product or sell a solution you need to come in with a point of view, having done your research, come in from an educated perspective, bring a point of view to the table and come with a version one, what I call a, a yeah. dartboard, right? Come with a version one of what that could look like, what a potential, what you understand their problem is and what a potential solution could look like and make it very clear from the beginning that the entire intent is for us to mark this up. Exactly. Make this better together, right? Yep, and yeah, we'll call it like an initial outline. So, and, uh, I'm a big fan of it. it the word, there's something about the word proposal that yeah. feels, okay. it, it makes no sense, but psychologically over the years, I've just realized it, it makes it feel finite. Okay. And I feel, I mean, we've all lost those deals where we're like, whoa, 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 we were at step zero or, you know, you lose a deal. You're like, oh my gosh, like, so I love that, like a, the, the dartboard, which is like, hey, where are we at? It's close to it. So then and then how does that progress over time? And it's literally visual, like uh, create a chart, create an architecture diagram. If you're a tech salesperson, create a pros and cons list of what if you were to do this or what if you were to do to do that or create a list of customer experience problems that you suspect that they're trying to solve something that is literally a visual aid to put in front of everyone. In today's virtual selling times, you can do all of this without being in a conference room, without being on site with clients. You can leverage visual tools to get people to the table and solve a problem together. And when you solve the problem together, you create co-mental ownership. 
And that co-ownership is what makes it, that pushes competition out of your environment because once they have taken ownership of the potential solution, it's very, very difficult for somebody else to come in and disrupt your sales cycle. I love that. Ryan, what would you add there around again, like this, this idea of how to do it? And maybe actually, if we want to jump in, Brian's question too is around when to bring this in. And, you know, Lisa, you can piggyback, but, you know, how do you see this, you know, process again? Like, again, I, I love this idea of making it visual. It's one of the things that I think it was yesterday I posted about, which is that what I feel like right now, one of the biggest issues I see with enterprise sellers is these men and women are just not conditioned. They're not maybe as good, you know, they're good in person and this, but like engaging via Zoom is not a core competency for them. Whereas like an insider mid-market seller might have more experience there. So I love this idea of leveraging visual tools. You know, my question, Ryan, when should you bring this up? When do you think is the right time to bring in a mutual action plan or, or a visual dartboard? I think as early in the process as possible. I mean, like, and what I'm going to talk about next is about like mapping out the buying process at the beginning of the sales process so that you truly understand like where to focus your time and who to focus it on. And I think what Lisa's talking about with the visual dartboarding piggybacks that, or I should say I'm piggybacking off what she's talking about because it's the same thing, but the business problems. And you have to refine it. If you start at the beginning, you have to refine it over time, kind of like what she's talking about, because that creates that collaborative environment, but also gives you windows of visibility to how much people in their own organization do not talk to each other and don't even know each other's problems. So that bubbles everything to the surface especially to the executives because they're like, wow, I didn't even know that was going on. So you see all different areas of that. So that's what I would say. And then, you know, to, to round out visuals, mutual action plans. Uh, I know we were talking about that. A real simple example for that is to have a single PowerPoint slide with dates and the action left on the process as you understand it. And then once the customer agrees, you actually calendar those steps while you're right there talking. I love that. Yeah, you start to put up the calendar and, and, and just get their buy-in of that reverse timeline. And I think that that's it, right? Is that, and I really feel like this is where sales is headed. That, you know, if you think about the, the skills that we're actually describing, the skill sets are really like project management skill sets yeah. versus I think what you would typically think of as sales skill sets. But I, I guess, again, like maybe I figure, I, I don't know, maybe I figured it out earlier in my career, but. As I think as we move forward, what I feel like buyers more and more and more want, and I think Ryan, you mentioned this when, when we were talking to Todd, is buyers are gonna have, especially in five years, my friends, they're gonna know everything. They're gonna know all your warts, your pricing, all that stuff that used to come to sales to get the education and the salesmanship and all of that. Now, a lot of, even more of that education is gonna continue to happen and we're seeing it year over year, it's continuing that I feel like the skill of project management and the skill of, you know, coordinating people is going to become more of a core sales skill. I'd love to get maybe your two's take on that and, and how you see, in, you know, kind of enterprise or big deal selling continuing evolve toward that. And, and also maybe the counterpoint to like, what do you think will be the same? So I'll jump in here, Jake. There's some recent research that just came out from Gartner's um, area that focuses on sales research and selling to, uh, chief sales officers. And it indicates that as much as 80% of buyers would prefer to go, enterprise buyers would prefer to go through an entire sales cycle without interacting with an account executive. Wow. What? what you, but Lisa, enterprise sales is about the relationship. <laughs> it's about the relationship. So wait, so this is a Gartner report. 80% said so they would... Never talk, want to talk to a sales. That's right. So that's the future of sales. So if you think about that and you take into consideration that millennial buyers who have been, you know, digital natives are now, these are the lion's share of at least mid-level managers that are making decisions and many uh, all the way up to executives are, are millennials now. And so they prefer a digital buying experience. And so we're seeing a massive shift and, and we're perhaps arguably on the front end of that, and it's been sped up by the pandemic. But think about the change that that brings to the table. So this means that even for enterprise sellers, you better up your virtual selling game because this is what buyers want to do. And the way that you are engaging from a digital perspective has to be 
it has to be something that sucks them into the process that helps them to create that co-mental ownership. You've got to be able to do all of this in a virtual environment. And today's times are just a precursor to what's coming, according to that research. That is, is are there too, any tools that you use right now, Lisa, or that you know people are using? We, we use one. There's a tool. It just it's, it's fairly new. It's called Recapped. So it's recap.io. We just started doing some partnership work with them for our clients, which is really, it's, it's a better visualization of the account plan. Now it's not necessarily some of the things you're talking about, the dart, the dart, which I really like. I've seen some like virtual whiteboard stuff. Are there any tools that you use or, um, you know, new technologies you've seen that have helped to facilitate more of this? There are actually some really cool tools in the space and they are um, mostly startups, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing that too. Yeah, some really early, uh, some really early entrants from this space. But one of the, I like to use brainstorming tools. Okay. Uh, they're online tools. So there's a tool that I, I've used for a couple of years called bubble.us, B-U-B-B-L.us. Um, that is, a, it's literally a visual brainstorming tool. So you can just uh, throw up a, you know, put that on the screen when you're doing enterprise conversations and let people add to it. It's super dynamic, but there are lots of different kinds of those visualization tools. And based on what it is that you're trying to accomplish or what your product or service is, I think you owe it to yourself to go do some research and look for the tools that you think are going to be best suited to help you kind of move forward in that way. And again, it's only bounded by creativity. So the thing that I want to encourage salespeople to do is to really get outside of your box. You've got to start digging in from a creativity perspective and solving problems instead of coming at something. Um, I have a product. Uh, it's a nail. I have a hammer. Therefore, everything, you know, everything yeah. is going to be something I try to hammer with this product. You've got to get creative and lean into the things that you're going to be able to bring to the table that will mentally engage your buyers. So, you know, if you think that only 20% of buyers are going to be comfortable in the relationship oriented enterprise selling of the past, that's mm -hmm. really going to limit your revenue generating potential. And you guys know that my heart always lies around how are we helping our customers to be successful and you can't help them to be successful if you're not getting them to engage. All right. I love it. So, okay. So, and then someone else brought, dropped another tool in there for LinkedIn. Ryan, any tools you know of, man? Anything, again, trying to think about how we, because I, I could not agree more that I, I really, truly believe that if you are in enterprise sales today, you got to start to think about this stuff. And, and I think one of the things that we're talking about here, and I want to key in on a word, the word is experience. That right now, when you're when you're face to face with somebody, or you're you know you've got your deal teams there, and you're you know they, they can see how you dress, how you present your slot. Like there's just a lot of feel that I don't think unless you're hyper hyper aware that you realize the experience that your sales team is used to creating in the field. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, Lisa and Ryan, I want I want you to kind of add to it is that we have to start to think about the experience, the feel of what it's like to buy from your company because this product, because this information becomes ubiquitous, as competition becomes ubiquitous and every product sounds like pretty similar, the buying experience, I really believe is gonna become, and look, people have always said you buy from people, but this is more than that. This is about your buy, you know, it, it's like, what is it like to work with this company? And it's like, you know, I think of, think of a company like a Gong, right? Or a, even Drift, less so Drift now, I feel like Drift back in the day, but more so like a Gong. Like you think it's like an interesting company to work with, you know, and like they've created a, 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 a kind of a, a feel for what it might be like to work with them. And I feel like the digital buying experience is going to be one of the key ways to differentiate in the future. Um, and so, Ryan, I don't know how you're seeing people doing that, but I'd love your take. And that's a little of my own pontification on where I think where I think we're headed. Yeah. <clears throat> so in terms of the tool question that you had, I think uh, Crystal knows is strong. Uh, okay. You heard of that? Who you guys yep. Know? Yep. That's that's just good for how to communicate. So like you're gonna make somebody extremely angry if they're a detail oriented person and you only give them high level, or they're a high level person and you're giving them tons of detail. That's gonna turn them off right away. So um, that's something simple on a tool perspective. And then where I think it's going with the field, that's a little bit outside of like that that digital lead that you're talking about, Jake. Yep. Is um, I think like 
old school is going to be new school. Like retro is going to be popular again. And you know, I mean, look at it. Ghostbusters is coming out with a movie again. You know, we had Mulan just come out. They recycled that. They had Top Gun 2 coming out. So basically, it's the same concept. So I think simple things, and you could use, and I haven't used it personally, but I want to check it out, like Alice with like gift giving, yeah. people's attention yeah. in different parts, strategically of the sales process, ordering them lunch and having a virtual lunch with them or virtual coffee is something that a lot of people aren't doing. And I tested it out and people respond really well to it. So uh, that's what I'm saying, man. The, the retro is I bad. love that. I think you're right, man. It's like whenever ABM first came out, I'm like, ABM, you mean communicating to people differently at different levels of an organization? Like, okay, you know, I feel like I feel like what you're saying is like this, it's like the next wave of this, right? Which is, you know, again, but it's about the experience that, hey, I can't be there with you. So what can I do to differentiate? I'm not just gonna okay. be a robot and go through my motions over and over again. Um, all right, so Lisa, any, any parting advice we're going to wrap up here in the next couple of minutes there's a couple more questions here we'll try to to hop on but any you know any parting advice for you or things that you feel like hey when you look at like as an enterprise seller things that made you successful or your team successful and that you think are are kind of mission critical or that will be continued to become critical outside of some of the things we've talked about sure uh, I do want to drop one more tool mural.co m-u-r-a-l.co I saw someone drop that one Hat tip to Chris Ornolano for pointing that out. Um, it's it's a great one. The as far as as tips from my perspective, I think it's really important that you deal with what I think of as cognitive dissonance. Having been on the buyer side of the table for a good deal of my career, there's something in you that inherently is resistant when people only talk about the reasons that you should do something. So. There's always a reason you shouldn't. Right. Right. Or multiple reasons that you shouldn't. And as salespeople, I think that we often spend so much time trying to convince people about the positive things that can happen as a result of whatever it is that we're bringing to the table, that it, the standoffishness that you get from buyers, it comes from that natural cognitive dissonance that they have that says, um, I yeah, okay, I get that there's positive things, but there's also things that are are going to hold me back or are risks yeah. I'm going to have to overcome. So lean into that and open the dialogue, have a conversation about why they shouldn't, what fears they have, what concerns they have, what risks they're potentially opening up if they do pursue the solution that you're talking about. By having the courage to open the dialogue you get to have an opportunity to literally be involved in their mental processing of the negative side of your potential buying solution. And there is nothing more powerful than getting a voice and helping them to think through what the potential downsides are to buying your product or to pursuing your service. So have the courage to talk about not only the reasons they should, but the concerns they have and the risks they face if they do. I love that. And Abby, there's a, a question we had earlier before you joined. And that was one of, you know, again, it's, I think a lot of times it, it, people are worried they don't want to complicate the situation or, you know, be aggressive. But in reality, I think hopefully what people have taken away is that it, it does the opposite. It's a very freeing experience when, when, when all parties aren't guessing what next steps are, you know, and you're like, great. Like, no, it's a little bit different for us. Yes, it is. And, and it's and a lot of it is about delivery, um, you know, as well too. So, Lisa, I really, really appreciate it. I have to say, this was awesome. Like, I, we haven't met before. We have to do. We have to meet now, like outside of just on a LinkedIn live. But this is really great. I love the advice. Um, and Ryan, gee, I, I just dropped the link for the summit for tomorrow again. Make sure everybody start, starts to sign up for the, for the summit. Um, Ryan, parting thoughts. Parting thoughts about enterprise sales. What you're excited about. What you're excited about for the speakers coming up. Yeah, well, I mean, one quick thought. We didn't really hit on this, and I know you're you're kind of making fun of the whole relationship angle. I'm not but making fun of it. I'm just going, saying it's less so, important now. And I know we talked about it, but you know, the whole crushing drinks and taking people out, and uh, and I love that stuff. That's my whole point, <laughs> guys. Don't, I love red wine. I love golf. I love all of the goodness, <laughs> right? And so, so I, I just, you know, I just don't think people give a shit as much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people's backs are against the wall because they need that short-term ROI. So yeah. I definitely think that biz, you know, the business case on the front end is in dollarizing, like what 
what Tab was talking about, what Lisa was talking about, and uh, Rob. Um, the other aspect too is so you know where to spend your time on is just doing the same thing that Lisa's talking about with the, the business case with the relationship strategy in the account by silos and departments and then stack ranking them and then being honest real quick with yourself. And I, I kind of create it into three areas. 10 is like, you know, they're going to invite you to their kid's birthday party. Right. And, and a five is like, they'll meet with you outside one-on-one -on -one outside of a group. And then zero is like, they won't even return your call. So if you grade those earlier in the process, it really steers you to, hey, the C-level executive won't even return my call. Maybe that's something totally. I need to work on and focus on. So um, that's a quick snapshot. And then, yeah, for the summit, just parting thoughts is um, 29 different speakers and like Lisa's a speaker, Jake's a speaker, all given their absolute best stuff for free. Um, and it's starting tomorrow. And I, I thought it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I've been in enterprise sales for like leading a team for 10 years. And I still learned so much from every single person that was out there. So it just shows like you are never done and things are changing so much. It was awesome to have a refresh and hear everybody's thoughts. Man, I've got, I've got, I took notes. Like, you know, it's good. If I'm taking notes on my own life, like, you know that it's good. I mean, I literally from Lisa, I love this virtual dartboard. Ryan, you had a few things around the like, like driving next steps like the reinforcement of the mutual action plan, transparency is great, all right? So look, everyone, I really appreciate you. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. I mean, gosh, I think we probably had probably three or 400 people tune in throughout. So we've had 50, 60 folks almost at the entire time. So really appreciate all of you. Make sure to sign up. We dropped the link there. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you again, Lisa, Ryan, Todd, and Rob. And we'll see you all next Monday. Thanks, Bye, sir. everybody. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I wanna ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.